Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. So today we're continuing our series, Mysteries Revealed, an in-depth study on the book of Ephesians. This is part two of chapter six. Last week we dealt with... um, with basically talking about the family dynamic and the correct order of priorities in a family relationship. Now, if you're here today and you don't have the notes that were passed out when you were walking in, you should have received some. If by chance you didn't receive them, lift your hands, there's ushers in the aisles, they wanna give you some notes. You might say, well, why are you asking us to take notes? Well, scientifically, we know that you'll retain more if you write it down. The other thing is, paper has a much better memory than you do. And so you can go back to it later on and, and kind of see what we talked about. And I just want to plug this. You know, we went to a conference as a staff one time and somebody preached a message on uh, how to pull yourself out of a downward spiral. And about a year or two later, I found myself beginning a downward spiral. You know what I did? I found my notebook. I pulled out the notes. I did exactly what the person said to do. And lo and behold, it pulled me out. So that's why we tell you to take notes because it's a great way for you to provide yourself with resources that will help you in your day-to-day life. So we're going to read our foundational text for tonight, and then we're going to pray and get into this. So it's Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, and it says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray today. Father, we thank you for this day. God, I thank you that we get to dig in to your word tonight. God, we just, we just take a moment, and, and just as we were worshiping a second ago, we worship you right now by saying thank you for giving us this word. God, we reverence you, and we honor you, and you gave us such an incredible and a powerful tool and gift in the written word of God. And so today we're going to learn from it, and we're going to ask you, Holy Spirit, to do what only you can do, and that's reveal the truth that's in this word to our hearts, show us how to apply it, and give us the desire and the power to do that in Jesus' name. I ask that as I communicate this, God, that you would fill me up in a way that I could speak it how you would want it to be said in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. 
So Paul is ending his letter to the church at Ephesus. Now, if you want a reminder, Ephesus was a city is in modern day Turkey, but back then it was part of the Roman Empire. He's writing to the church there and he ends his letter to the church at Ephesus by commanding believers to be strong. That's your first blank, to be strong. Now, I think something's really interesting. I picked up a book the other day and I, I just, I, you know, honestly, I got it at a free book swap type of thing. There were a bunch of books laying around. Nobody wanted them. So I picked it up, never heard of the author in my life, decided to start reading it. And I found it really interesting because I was preparing for the Ephesians uh, series that we're in right now. And it was talking about Joshua. And Joshua is kind of just my favorite in the Bible. But it was very interesting because the author kind of draws correlations between Joshua and Ephesians. Because if you remember in Joshua, what had to happen was God had promised the Israelites that he was going to give them an amazing land. There were all these resources, natural resources. It was a land of abundance and plenty. It was a land of blessing. But they had to cross the Jordan River while it was in its flood stage. There were no boats. They had to just cross it. And then they had to fight to possess and take hold of and keep the land. Now, if you remember, when we're talking about Ephesians, the first half of the book, as Pastor Ken taught us, talks about the believer's position in Christ. It's what's been promised to us. It's our inheritance. The second half of the book deals with the believer's practice. How do you live it out daily? And in fact, this part that we'll talk about tonight deals with how do you put on the armor that God's given you and fight for everything that God's promised you. So we see a correlation there that's really interesting, even in the language, when you see that, that, that Joshua is told, be strong and courageous for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Paul is saying, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. The promised land was a type or a picture of the victorious Christian life. It was the place that God had promised to his chosen people, but they had to fight to possess it and to dwell in it. So Ephesians 6.10, and really this whole passage shows us that like the Israelites, we must fight if we want to receive God's best for us. We must fight if we want to receive God's best for us. I think this is so interesting as we go into this next section, it says, why fight? Paul makes it clear that we fight in order to be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, this word for scheme implies deception. And it's used only twice in the New Testament with both uses in Ephesians. The first use is 4, 13, and 14, and the second use is in 6, 11, which we're reading today. What's really interesting is in Ephesians 4, it refers to false doctrine taught by men. In Ephesians 6, it talks about things that the devil would try to bring against us. Now, here's what I want you to see. There's a difference between a plan and a scheme. Ephesians tells us about God openly revealing his mysterious plan to deliver and unite his people. But the devil's scheme is sin and deception packaged as truth. And a lot of times he uses people, as we see in Ephesians 4, to deliver that package. What I think is so fascinating is Paul spends all this time talking about the mysterious plan of God revealed, but then he alerts us that while God has a mysterious plan that he's bringing into the light for all to see and for all to receive and walk in the fullness of it, the devil has a scheme, 
a deception that he's going to try to get to you, whether through a direct attack by him or through somebody else, to uh, disable you from walking in that mysterious plan that God has opened up for you. Everything the devil does is a counterfeit of what God would do. He's always trying to rip it off and make it look like something that God would do. So Paul tells us that we are not fighting against people on earth, but against spiritual forces. We're not fighting against people on earth, but against spiritual forces. And you'll see this developed later on. We'll talk about this a bit more. But Paul spent half of the letter in the first part of it talking about our position in Christ. But now he's going to let us know that there's a spiritual attack on us because of it. So here's what's interesting. Paul tells you about your spiritual position in Christ, that you've been seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places. But then he teaches you that because of your spiritual position, spiritual forces are going to attack you in spiritual ways. He says, don't perceive it as just some natural attack. You need to be aware that this is a spiritual thing. They're not attacking you just for the heck of it, if that's okay to say. I don't know if that's all right. I hope so. This is Texas. Are we allowed to say that? I thought so. Uh, As long as you spit afterwards. Yeah. So they're not attacking you just because. They're attacking you because of your spiritual position. They wouldn't have anything to do with you if it didn't have to do with the spirit realm and what you have and the potential that you have in the spirit realm. I think it should be noted this really quick, that Paul talks about these rulers and powers, these principalities, he calls them, in the spiritual realm. But if you were to go back in, one, in chapter 1, verses 20 through 23, Paul teaches us that Jesus is seated above all these rulers in the heavenly places. So he's telling you that not only are, is Jesus seated above these rulers, but then it says in, verses, in chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, that we are seated with Jesus. So Paul prefaces this talk about fighting with a little secret. You are already ahead in the battle. Now all you have to do is walk in what God's given you. Paul tells us that we have the power to win, and then he shows us how to use it. The power to win. A lot of people have the power to do things. A lot of people have, I, I don't care how bad of a car you have, your, your car probably has the potential to go faster than it should be <laughs> driven. Unless you're driving a VW Beetle or something like that, then you're lucky to get on the freeway. But most cars have the potential and the power to do things that we never will see it do. Listen, you have the potential and the power to do things that you may not ever realize if you don't take this seriously. It's an important thing. So Paul's goal is to teach us how to stand our ground against evil. Again, we're recognizing these are spiritual opponents. I actually got to preach this today to um, the secondary chapel at Enact, our homeschool group. And something came to me while I was preaching to them. I I began thinking about this and in relation to when Paul's talking about the godly order and the way things should work in the home and he talks about parents obeying their, their, uh, children obeying their parents and parents not being rude to or exasperating their kids. What's really interesting is the devil will try to get you to believe that your spouse or your parents or your siblings or your family members or your coworkers or your boss are the enemy. 
And what he's doing is he's tricking you because he's taking the emphasis off of the fact that it's a spiritual battle, not a flesh and blood battle. And if he can get you to do that, then he'll ruin all your relationships. And one thing you'll know too is that the Roman army operated off of relationships. They fought together. You have to fight together. This only works that way. So how do we fight? Number one, we use God's armor. That's a pretty obvious blank. We use God's armor. Now Paul was in prison when he's writing this letter. He's probably bound to a Roman soldier. So I, I just, he had a lot of time to look at a Roman soldier's armor and just think. I can imagine it got a little bit uncomfortable because Paul a lot of times would, would speak his letters and somebody would write it down for him. Can you imagine being the guy chained to him and he's just looking at you and describing everything for a good 30 minutes or whatever it is? You know, just writing his letter. Okay, you can stop looking at me now. This is, this is interesting. So he's probably chained to these guys and, or to this, to this one Roman soldier. Now we have to understand that the concept of the armor of God is found in the Old Testament. Paul just develops it in the New Testament. I was really surprised to figure this out in studying this, to be honest with you, because I've missed it so many times. Psalm 91, verse four in the New Living Translation is a verse that so many people love. It says, he'll cover you with his feathers. He'll shelter you with his wings. Now watch this. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. David referred all the time to the fact that the Lord was a shield. And we see in Isaiah 59, 17, in the New Living Translation, it says, he put on, the right, put on righteousness as his body armor, and he placed the helmet of salvation on his head. Now, what this is referring to is when, when God comes down to save his people, which I think is really interesting because we're talking about Jesus saving us, and we're seated in heavenly places with him. Philippians 4, verse 7 in the Amplified, or verses 6 and 7 says this, do not fret or have any anxiety about anything, but in every circumstance and in everything, by prayer and petition, definite requests, with thanksgiving, continue to make your wants known to God, and God's peace shall be yours, that tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ, and so fearing nothing from God, and being content with its earthly lot of whatever sort that is. That peace, which transcends all understanding, shall garrison and mount guard over your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I think that's interesting that they choose the terminology, shall mount guard over your hearts and minds. And we'll see that concept of peace as armor come back in a little bit. Note that Paul specifically tells us to put on and to take up the armor of God. This means it's something we must choose to do. Now, if you study that out, the second half sometimes can be a little bit more passive sounding. But understand that the, the very first thing that he's telling you to do, though, is you have to do something. You have to choose it. It's an important thing. The pieces of the armor of God. Now, for all the guys in the room, this is the fun part. Because this is where we get to talk about fighting. How many of you love that? Anybody? Anybody? Nobody? We aren't in Texas, I'm guessing. Okay, we got two people in the back. All right. 
One of them's the colonel. He better like fighting in some sense or another. But so we get to talk about the armor and how it works. I love the Bible. Men, if you don't read the Bible, the Bible's about the manliest book you can find. It's time that you read it. Just start somewhere in the Old Testament. Find out where people were beating people down with the jawbone of a donkey, and you'll be good to go. You'll love reading your Bible. It'll be a lot of fun. You'll have a lot of questions, but it'll be a lot of fun. So the pieces of the armor of God, we start with the belt of truth. Now, again, Paul was extremely educated. He was a Roman citizen. He understood the way things worked. And being in captivity for years, he probably understood the way their armor worked as well because, again, he had a lot of time to observe. A Roman soldier's belt was the first thing he put on, and it held the rest of his armor together. It didn't just hold armor in place, but it allowed the soldier to move more freely. Now, here's what I think is really interesting. Some scholars interpret this word truth not necessarily to mean the objective truth of God's word, but really to mean a concept of living a transparent and open life. Really, of your life being an open book, being honest about who you really are. I think this interpretation makes a lot of sense because a transparent life enables you to live and move more comfortably. In essence, I got nothing to hide. So I can move, I can be free, I can walk in the freedom that God has. I personally think it can also mean the objective truth of God's word. Because that is the foundation piece for everything in our lives. And I spoke this to the, to the young students today. I said, hey, listen, when I was in middle school, it, it really determined where the course of our lives went, which of my friends chose the truth of the word or what they wanted to do. And we began splitting ways. And this is going to sound really tough, but many of us are still doing the exact same thing for good or for bad that we were in middle school because we chose what our foundation would be. And it's hard to change the foundation after the fact. It's doable. That's what the Holy Spirit's for. So without a commitment to the truth of God's word, really what happens is, and without, a, and without a lifestyle of being open about our flaws and our mistakes, we're going to live restricted lives that rob us of our full potential in Christ. And that's the devil's goal. He wants to get you to not be able to reach your full potential. That's his ultimate goal. The breastplate of righteousness now, the word for righteousness can refer to our right standing with God that was given to us by Jesus, or it can refer to the way that we live our lives day in and day out, living righteously. Either way you take it, the breastplate of righteousness is a way for us to guard our hearts against the attacks of the enemy. When we know that we're living a right life, we guard our heart from sin and the consequences that it brings. So the scripture says, guard your heart for out of it flow the issues of life. You guard yourself. You protect what's vital to you. Because remember, when you're protecting, this was body armor wrapped around the back as well. Just like a rib cage, it's protecting your vital organs. You protect the vital part of you by choosing not to partake in sin because you know that the consequences are going to harm what is most precious and most valuable to you. What's the inward part of you, your character and your right standing with God. Now, the other thing is we know that Christ has made us righteous by faith, so we also know that neither our greatest failures or our sins or any attack of the devil can rob us of that right standing with God. So because Jesus made you righteous, even if you mess up and you don't walk it out well, 
Your heart is protected because you know that I'm still in a right, in a right place with God. Shoes of readiness. So a Roman soldier's sandals had leather strips which wrapped around his ankle and his instep like around his arch, and he had nails attached to the soles in order to provide stability and traction. It's kind of interesting. They had these, they were just like these spikes. It was basically like modern-day cleats is what they were using. The word for readiness refers to a foundation or to being established. It refers to a foundation or to being established. So here's what Paul's telling us. He's telling us that the peace that comes from the good news about Jesus should be our firm foundation in life. It should provide stability so we can face every battle with confidence. And here's what this peace refers to. It refers to the fact that you know that you're saved by grace through faith. That's the good news of Jesus. Because that's, the, that's really what gets you that sure footing, that firm footing that you need. You know the devil can't come at you because listen, I know that it's not about what I did. I have a peace with God and a peace in my heart because of what Jesus did. And wherever you go, you communicate that peace. As you see that again, like we said in Philippians 4, 6, and 7 in the Amplified, when it talks about not fretting or having anxiety, and it says that God's peace shall be yours. And it says this specifically, that tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. When you know that you are saved, you can walk in a peace that nobody can take away from you. You've got a traction and a footing that when the devil tries to push you, he, he can't make you slide back. Because you know who you are in Christ and where you stand. Because of what Jesus did, not because of your ability and what you can do. Another interesting note, again, as we see these concepts in the Old Testament, Isaiah 52, 7 in the NLT says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news. Gospel means good news. The good news of peace, huh, and salvation. The news that the God of Israel reigns. Again, Paul's referencing Old Testament concepts and he's bringing them into a New Testament light. The shield of faith. This is where it starts to get pretty fun. A Roman soldier's shield measured around four feet long and two and a half feet wide. It was a big shield. It covered most of the armor and it served as a primary defense for the armor. So in other words, before anything hits your body armor, the hope was that it had to go through your shield. So you would stick this shield out there and some cool things about it, I, I like this a lot, this is really cool because you get to talk about punching people in the face in church and that is the young man in me that thinks that's awesome. So let me just get that off my chest. So there's a handle in the middle of this shield, four feet long, two and a half feet wide, there's a handle. And on the outside of the handle it's called a boss. And it's a metal, just a, a metal bulb basically right here. That served as extra protection for the hand that was holding the shield. Now, that was extra protection, but what they would also use that for is if somebody got close, that was a great way to punch somebody in the face. It was like the original brass knuckle. And so they could just use it and hit them. It would be, I can imagine it would be hard to hold it and to still be able to punch correctly, but it was a weapon in and of itself in a close combat situation. Because the shield was so large, 
you're not very much exposed, okay? Let's say you're 5'10", and the shield is, is, uh, is four feet long. That's not leaving a lot of room for the enemy. Now, what's really cool about this is when you would hold this shield, you would hold it like this, and you would take your sword, and you would just begin to thrust, and they couldn't see where the sword was gonna come from next. And we'll get to that later, but they could hide behind this shield, and, and the enemy just couldn't see where it was gonna come from. They didn't know what to do. You could come over the top, you could come from the sides, and they couldn't really figure out where it was gonna come from next. Satan loves to throw fiery arrows from a long way off. Now this is literally what that means. It talks about flaming darts. It's just they would put stuff on the tip of an arrow, light it on fire, and shoot it at people. Satan loves to throw that kind of stuff at us. His goal is to hinder us from reaching our potential Because he knows that our call in life is to storm the gates of hell and to raise the flag of heaven. So if we're advancing, it's going to stop us from getting all the way there if those things are raining down on us and we don't have protection. But Paul tells us that our faith becomes our protection to deflect those kinds of things. Now, fiery darts or fiery arrows for you can mean different things maybe than for me. Maybe it's your thought life. Maybe thoughts just pop into your head sometimes, and you're like, where did that come from? Maybe it's a thought that's a temptation or a sin that you would want to do, and you're like, I, I just, I don't even know where that came from right now. Maybe it's a thought that you're condemned by God. The Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Maybe it's a thought that you uh, are not worthy of God's blessing and his favor. Maybe it's a thought of doubt. My family will never be reconciled. My body will never be healed. My finances will never be whole again. So what you've gotta do is you've gotta take up the shield of faith because faith is an expression of trust. A soldier had to trust that his shield would protect him in order to fight effectively. He hid behind his shield. People tell you, you just use your faith as a crutch. No, I use it as a shield. I hide behind it because it's what protects me. Psalm 115 verse nine says, oh Israel, trust the Lord. He is your helper and your shield. Again, trust is the idea that we have here. The helmet of salvation. Now the helmet of salvation speaks to both the hope of our eternal salvation as well as the promise that God will save us from the struggles and the attacks that we face daily in this world. Jesus said, in the world you will have trouble. Thank you, Jesus. But he said, I give you my peace. He's overcome the world on our behalf. So the helmet doesn't just remind us that we're gonna be saved, that when we're in heaven, it's, it's, that's God's salvation. The helmet tells us that every day in every situation, we walk under the protection and the covering of the salvation of God at work in our day-to-day lives. It doesn't matter what you're facing, God's salvation is at work in your midst each day. Remember that, again, in Philippians 4, 6 through 7, which Paul also wrote, Paul talks about giving God our worries regarding our day-to-day struggles and watching his peace, which comes from being secure in our eternal salvation, guard our minds in Christ Jesus. That's a pretty good helmet to have. The sword of the Spirit. This gets really fun. Paul makes it clear that the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. Now, I want to clear something up right here. I misstated this. This doesn't refer to the written word, the logos in the Greek, but to the spoken word, the rhema. Now, here's what I want to clarify about that. 
Logos can be a spoken word, but rhema is often used to, to say something a bit differently. So when it, for instance, says that God commanded and the earth was formed, that's the word rhema. It's pointed. And so when we use the word of God, we speak it in a pointed way. So I was watching this video about this guy explaining the Roman armor. I thought it was really interesting what he said. See, the sword was only 18 inches long. It was a double-edged sword. And he said it was, it was precision. You could be very precise with it. Partially probably because it's so small. I thought it was really fascinating that he said that because Hebrews 4.12 says, the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Doesn't that sound like a precision instrument to you? So when we speak the word with precision and with boldness over a situation, that's what we're talking about. We're going to use that same power that God used to create the earth. We're going to use his words to work in our situation and to see change happen. That sounds a lot like the Roman soldier's sword to me. Remember that the sword and the shield, I want to explain this really quick. The sword and the shield were used in conjunction. The soldier would hide behind the shield, right, remember, and he would thrust the sword out from behind there. You couldn't figure out where it was coming from. Now for me, this gives me new meaning to the verse, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Because when I think about faith and the word of God working in conjunction with each other, that begins to give me a better picture of how that works. Also, Jesus spoke the word to counterattack the devil when he came in close contact with him and tried to tempt him in the desert. And he did it in a pointed, specific way. He, just did, he didn't say, the Bible tells me not to do that. But he had scripture that he was speaking specifically. Now let me address this, the spear. This is an interesting thought that I, I picked up from reading a book by Rick Renner called Sparkling Gems from the Greek. In the same sentence where Paul talks about the sword of the spirit, he tells believers to pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. So Roman soldiers, they had actually a, a, the 18-inch the sword, they had a dagger, and then they had a spear. And this spear was not just to stab people with. You didn't use it for that. It was a throwing spear specifically. So what it was, was it was a long-range weapon. When Paul talks about intercession and praying in the Holy Spirit, it could be that he's referring to a throwing spear. Because what would happen is when an army was coming at the Romans, you can imagine they're going to throw these spears and it's going to stop the front rows of them in their track and it's going to slow down the rest of the army from advancing. When you and I begin to intercede in the same way we can head off the enemy's attacks by praying in our heavenly language because this enables us to pray the exact will of God even when our minds don't know what the future will hold. That's the great thing about praying in tongues as we're talking about every Sunday. You don't know what your future holds but God does and he reveals it to us by his spirit. And we know that when we pray out in our heavenly language, we speak forth the will of our Father, and I believe that it slows down the advance of the enemy, and it can completely and totally cut him off. Also, when we pray for others, it enables us to protect people who are not physically close to us at the time. 
This is something really interesting for me. In the Garden of Gethsemane, we see where Jesus tells the disciples to watch and pray, to wait with him and pray. And they keep falling asleep. Does anybody remember this? They fall asleep, they fall asleep, and finally he just says, forget it. I know you're tired, go ahead and rest. Well, right after that is when uh, Judas comes to betray Jesus. And the Bible says that shortly after when Judas came and betrays Jesus and, and they, they pick him up, they capture him. It says in Matthew that all the disciples deserted him. And Peter then eventually denies him. I wonder if they would have prayed beforehand if it would have helped them stand a little bit stronger and taller in the face of that adverse, adversity. I wonder what it would have done for them in their faith. Now, we can't speculate on what would have happened, but I've often thought about that, that we can desert Jesus and other people in prayer before we ever desert them in person. When we forget to connect ourselves in prayer, when we forget to throw that long-range weapon, we can forget about those people and desert them in prayer before we ever even desert them in person. They weren't with him in the spirit at that point, and so they couldn't be with him in the physical what I also think is interesting is that Simon tried to use a physical sword to fight a spiritual battle in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you remember, they came to capture Jesus. This guy whips out a sword and chops off somebody's ear. Wrong response, first of all. But he's trying to fight a, a spiritual battle with a physical weapon. In reality, what if he would have used his spear of prayer and been ready to use his sword of the spoken word of God. Now for them, they didn't understand all these concepts, but guess what? You and I have the privilege of seeing the end of the story. You will not know whether a battle is spiritual or physical in nature unless you keep alert by praying continually. Let me give you some final thoughts on this. In the end, Paul teaches us that we're in a spiritual battle and we've got to fight to walk in the blessing and the victory that God's promised us on this earth. It's our job to take up the spiritual armor God's given us. And with it on, we're guaranteed to win. So the question for you is, will you stand and will you fight? This doesn't rest on you. This rests on your willingness to be obedient and to do what God's commanded you through this word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. God, I thank you for this church where we can come and learn about your will and your word. And God, we receive your word with gladness in Jesus' name. God, I just pray specifically for those of us who feel like we've been burdened and assaulted by the devil in life. Maybe it's we feel that there have been those flaming arrows coming at us. Maybe we feel like it's a full-on frontal assault that he's coming at us, but you would say to us, be strong in who God is and be strong in the power of his might. Find your rest and your shelter in his presence and get the joy of the Lord and let the joy of the Lord be your strength. That your strength isn't about your power and your ability. It's about the power and the ability of the one who lives inside of you because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And because his power is made perfect in our weakness. So God, we ask for your power to just be shown and displayed in us. We ask that as Paul taught these people in Ephesus, that we would take upon ourselves the armor of God that gives us peace, that gives us openness and freedom, that gives us the truth of your word. God, that protects us and that shows us how to fight effectively. That we don't have to fear, but we just use the sword that the spirit wields. The word of God that shows us who we are in Christ and what we can do with the power he's given us. 
God, I pray that we'd use it in our families. I pray that we'd use it in our finances. I pray that we'd use it in our friendships and in our coworkers and relationships and in our culture around us, that we would be the people who take a stand for the Lord and who fight the enemy knowing that Christ already won the victory and he's seated far above all that and we're seated with him. And God, specifically, I pray that we would not be a people who view others as the enemy, but that you would give us the eyes to see that we're fighting a spiritual battle, not a physical one in Jesus' name. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas, or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.